Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here as always with John Mitchell. We've finished up week one action this week. We'll be talking about that some in our first segment. Then in our second segment, we'll be looking at five games against the spread this week, as we do every week. And finally, we'll be uh, offering some of our locks, some of our upset picks, and uh, diving into food and drink. Uh, Before we begin, how was your Labor Day weekend, John? It was good. It was great to have uh, football pretty much every day, you know, starting last Thursday, running all the way through the long weekend on Monday night with Notre Dame and Louisville. Uh, maybe not the best opening weekend slate, but still just um, a sight for sore eyes after a long off season. Oh yeah, football's football, and you know even bad football is better than a lot of other things you could be doing. Absolutely. Well, you know, with that said, um, week one action obviously didn't offer up a lot of like ranked games against each other. Didn't offer up a lot of you know, huge marquee matchups, but it did definitely still offer the intrigue we come to love from college football. Um, In that vein, John, who did you have as the best win this weekend? You know, it's one of the teams we talked a lot about last week, and we were both kind of stunned to see that uh, they were actually underdogs and went through a lot of adversity too, with the weather kind of moving that game away from a neutral site to a to an, a true away game for Boise State, and they faced a lot of adversity, had a true freshman starting at quarterback, fell behind uh, by 18 points in the third quarter of that game, and then Boise State did what Boise State does, and they went and they won the football game. So that, to me, was the most impressive result of the weekend. Uh, I guess if you're a Florida State fan, uh, you could easily look at that as one of the worst losses of the weekend, having, you know, it seemed like everything had finally turned for Willie Taggart in year two, and Florida State was kind of turning the corner, and it would have been a really impressive win if they were able to pull it out. But, you know, they kind of collapsed in the second half. But all credit should go to Boise State. I don't think Florida State should be, I guess, as... People shouldn't, I guess, denigrate Florida State as much because Boise State's a quality football team. You know, even with a true freshman quarterback, these guys have been there. They've done that. They are never out of a football game. They have all the confidence in the world that they can play with anybody, and they consistently prove that no matter where the game's played. Their comeback was one of the um, most pleasant surprises of the college football Saturday, I'd have to say, because we had both kind of been pushing – Boise State over the last week, so seeing them actually be able to come out there and respond after falling behind by so much, was really impressed. Uh, Brian Harson, that whole staff should be, you know, elated that they were able to come out uh, with that victory Saturday. I completely agree. I think that's a really good pick. Um, obviously, that was one of those on my list as well that I was looking at as some of the big wins of the weekend. Another one I thought was really interesting was North Carolina over South Carolina. That 24-20 result in Charlotte um, with Mac Brown coming back to Chapel Hill and uh, getting a win in his first game back with the Tar Hills, I thought was um, just in general a really big result for that team, especially the way that it's gone the past couple years and doing it against a South Carolina team that was being looked at by some as, you know, a second-tier dark horse in the SEC East, um, considering they were voted, I think, third or fourth in the East in the SEC media poll. Um, Just a really quality win for that North Carolina team. I was, you know, really excited just for, you know, Mac Brown for uh, that entire program. Um, and it'll be interesting to see because if North Carolina can really start to get back to some sort of level of, you know, respectability, it, it opens up the ACC a lot more than it has in recent years. And I think it's, you know, good overall for that conference. You know, the more teams you have that are, are doing well, especially in intersectional play, um, the better you're going to do when it comes time for the the selection committee looking at your conference's teams for, you know, college football playoff and New Year's six births. So, it, you know, it was one that 
many people probably weren't looking at. Obviously, with North Carolina having been as bad as they were last year, I don't think many people were expecting much. And I don't know that I'm expecting much from them, but that was definitely an eye-opener that showed that they're playing a lot better now than they have in the recent past. Right. I mean, a huge, huge opening win for Matt, Matt Brown. It was hard not to feel good for him. Uh, he was really emotional after the game. So getting to, you know, getting to see that and that kind of nature of the sport with as hard of, uh, as difficult of a time as he's had getting back on the sideline after being let go at Texas, uh, a few years back, getting back to college football, you could just tell how much that really meant to him for his guys to go out there and perform the way they did. So that was definitely, um, definitely a, a great win for that program and really puts them on the path of potential bowl eligibility in year one under Mac Brown, which is something that not a lot of people thought that they had a chance to do. Definitely. Um, you know, and you could, you could easily single out a couple more games on this slate for sure. Among those really solid wins. Um, you know, you also mentioned that for some people, the best wins are the worst losses. Um, for me, the worst loss this week is obviously the one that stings the most. Um, as I've said in the past, I'm an Oregon fan. Everybody got my undergraduate degree there. I have a master's degree from there. I love this school. Um, so, you know, this weekend I was at a wedding and I was sitting on my tablet watching it at a rehearsal dinner getting, you know, worked up by this game, um, especially because the way that first half went. Uh, it could have easily been 35-3, 38-3. You know, they missed that field goal. They have a fumble in a goal-to-go goal situation right after, you know, returning, uh, you know, getting a return that puts them like 85 yards and down into the goal-to-go situation. So Oregon left a lot of points on the table here. Uh Mario Cristobal, love him as a coach. We've talked about him a lot as somebody both of us really like, but he's not really showing himself to be masterful in game management situations, time management situations, and that's really disappointing to see. Um, but, you know, to have that, you know, victory, a real statement victory over an SEC team snatched away with nine seconds to go, is obviously going to reverberate for the Pac-12 a long time. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Effectively, at this point, you're counting on um, either you know Stanford or Washington doing it at this point because for the Pac-12, it's you know kind of undefeated or bust. Obviously, Utah throw them in there as well, but they need one of those teams to go undefeated now because. <laughs> It, it's going to take a lot of attrition. We need like a 2007 level of attrition for Oregon to be able to get in with one loss against Auburn at this point. Um, and having that happen, you know, first week of the year is always going to be a deflating, deflating reality for a, for a fan base, for a team. Well, yeah, I mean, you fell victim to the Auburn voodoo on Saturday night. I, I don't think, and I, I posted this on Twitter, I don't think there's a team in college football who's, fallen more ass backwards and the more wins over the last decade than Auburn. And that's not to take away from the fact that it's impressive what Bo Nix did Saturday night after struggling for the better part of three and a half quarters before really putting it together in the fourth quarter and making a, a really great drive to win the game, a great throw there to win the game to Seth Williams. But at the end of the day, Oregon left a lot of points on the board. That fumble in particular in the red zone ends up being a 10-point swing because Auburn gets a field goal going the other way. I mean, that's really frustrating. And then, you know, Oregon had a chance to salt the game away there in the fourth quarter as well in that fourth and one play where C.J. Verdell was stuffed at the line of scrimmage. You probably would have liked to see a bit different, maybe a little more aggressive of a play call because Auburn's defensive line had kind of dominated the game for the second half after Oregon's offensive line really got off to a great start. But Auburn's D-line, Derek Brown, those guys, Big Cat Bryant, those guys up front really started taking over the game for Auburn. And their just size and depth up front really started wearing on the Ducks, I thought. And I would have liked to have seen just a little bit better of a play call there, I think, maybe a little more aggressive, maybe, you know, put the ball in Herbert's hands, let him 
go play action rollout where he's got a run pass option on the edge. You know, he's got some decent wheels and he's got a great arm and he's, you know, showed plenty of great throws in that game. So that just felt like, I guess, kind of maybe arrogant on crystal balls port, in my opinion, just because he's an offensive line guy. And it's, you know what, our guys versus yours, mano y mano, let's do this. And, you know, he lost it. You know, I can respect that in a way because, you know, if we can't get a yard, then we don't deserve to win the game, what have you. But, yeah, I, I felt for you. I felt really bad uh, watching the end of that game and seeing how that turned out because I know I've been on the wrong end of those kind of losses to Auburn myself in the past as an Alabama fan. I know how deflating they can be. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be worked up about this for a little while, folks. But that's just the nature of college football as well. So it could have been worse, Zach. You could be a Tennessee Volunteers fan, and that's where I'd go for my mo for my worst loss of the weekend. I don't think it gets any worse than all the optimism. You and I both had some optimism for Tennessee this year in our SEC preview, but we weren't alone. You know, this is a team that brought back more uh, returning production than any team in the Power Five across the country. They have a lot of optimism and. All of that goodwill and optimism is just stripped away in a 60-minute football game Saturday at Neyland Stadium. You know, one of the biggest stages in college football, one of the most iconic stadiums in the country, and lowly Georgia State. And we're not talking about a team that was even good last year. Georgia State was a bad Sun Belt team last year. They won two games. They were a 2-10 team last year, and they marched into Knoxville and knock off Tennessee. I mean, that was the biggest upset to me, obviously, this past weekend, and just maybe the worst loss in Tennessee football history. I think you could probably even make the case that that's the point. I mean, what a deflating loss for Jeremy Pruitt and his team. Uh, A lot of bad turnovers in that game. But also, I mean, if you just look at the stats, you've got Georgia State going in there and putting up 213 rushing yards on Tennessee on a Jeremy Pruitt coach defense, you know, he's always had his laid his cap on that side of the ball, you know, and giving up 213 yards um, to Georgia State and then only mustering 93 rushing yards on the other side. So getting just dominated on both fronts, just just a really deflating loss for Tennessee. You know, it looked like this was going to be the year maybe they move forward, but it's starting to look more and more like Tennessee's just stuck in mediocrity for the foreseeable future. They just can't get out of this hole. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I completely agree. That was one of the games I had tabbed as my, you know, sort of biggest surprises of the week. Uh, I, I, I completely agree with you. Personally, you know, that Oregon loss stings, but in terms of what that actually does to a program, losing to Auburn, you know, on a last, last second touchdown is one thing getting pretty comprehensively beat on your own turf by Georgia state is a completely different thing that completely changes the complexion of what happens with Tennessee's season. Like we talk about, you know, a PAC 12 team being out with a loss. Nobody's going to give Tennessee the benefit of the doubt for losing to Georgia state. I think Georgia State can even go 12 and 0, 13 and 0, win the Sun Belt and you're still not going to get the benefit of the doubt from that one. Um just because of track record and everything else. So on that note, I'm I I'm with you. I think that was just one of the huge losses um of this entire week. Um another one, you know, staying in the SEC, another one that was a really big surprise for me. And one that actually, you know, sort of salved, you know, it was a little bit of a salve for losing that Oregon game. Um, Wyoming beating Missouri in uh, Laramie was huge. I mean, for for that program, for Wyoming to, you know, take down an SEC school first and foremost, it really gives credence both the, you know, Boise State taking down Florida State, the fact that you have another team in your division that did the exact same thing against a power five school this week just it it bolsters up the entire conference um so the mountain west looks really good after week one after a couple of really good victories there because you know missouri was supposed to be great and kelly bryant definitely looked good at quarterback for them at times but 
you know, they were moving the ball down the field, but Wyoming was getting key stops when they needed to. They were they were forcing turnovers at just really opportune moments. Um just all around the board. Really exciting to see as a as a fan of the Pokes and of somebody who just likes smaller schools in general. Uh, you know, good defense, good quarterback play. Sean Chambers looked really good at quarterback for them, both more running the ball than throwing the ball, obviously. He wasn't really dependent on much with his arm, only going 6 of 16 for like 90 or 92 yards. But, um, you know, also rushing for 120, uh, 120, I think it was. He had a touchdown just all around. Great play for that for that Wyoming team. And, uh, you know, really good win for Craig Bowl. That you can see that team has started to be, you know, looking like it's getting close to where he was able to build North Dakota State to. And it, it just feels like this is one of those pieces falling to into place moments for, for Wyoming. I mean, what a great opening week plus now for the Mountain West, right? You had Hawaii obviously getting it started by beating Arizona. Now you've got Boise State going to Tallahassee, beating Florida State, Wyoming knocking off Missouri. But then also you had, you know, Nevada beat Purdue on Saturday with or on Friday, sorry, with a 56-yard field goal to end the game. Like, what a crazy way to finish that game. And then Utah State was right there with Wake Forest. Fresno State played USC down to the wire. The Mountain West really showed why they really, to me, caught up with the American Athletic Conference as the premier group of five league. Uh, I think they're just as good, if not even a little bit better, and we'll get a better idea with that. Um, as the season progresses, I know that's something you'll be keeping a particular close eye on, but I was really impressed with the Mountain West as a whole. Um, in terms of surprising results, I was going to go with South Carolina and North Carolina, but since we already hit on that, how about a surprising thing that happened on Saturday? Did you see Hugh Freeze coaching from a hospital bed in the booths on Saturday night against Syracuse? Was that not the weirdest most, I guess, surprising, but maybe the weirdest thing I've ever seen watching a college football game was Hugh Freeze laid up in a hospital bed in the coach's booth as Liberty gets shut out against Syracuse to open the season and the Freeze era. Yeah, really, you just kind of have to ask yourself, what was the utility of being there, Hugh? Like, honestly, that just gives more credence to people who talk about football coaches is just maniacal. Like, if you cannot handle being bedridden and getting yourself healthy and in and, and you have to be hauled to a stadium to ostensibly lead your football team well prone um i yeah i think it's really just kind of showing that single-minded sort of tunnel vision that a lot of coaches have um, sort of divorced from reality or even a sense of their own mortality. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that was really weird. Um, Great uh, screen caps, though. Just some fantastic screen caps from that. If you guys haven't seen that out there listening, go to Twitter, search you freeze, and just see just the the memes and stuff that got generated from from that whole situation. Just very, very strange, very funny. And the media just points to this potentially being what a great start to what could be just a really odd and strange overall season. And if this ends up being a 2007 S season, then I think that picture of freeze coaching in a hospital bed will live in infamy forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was, that was definitely the weirdest moment of this opening full weekend of football. Um, one thing I'd be remiss to talk about before we get uh, to game balls or, or you know, I, I definitely need to touch on is we did get an uh, FCS upset. You know, we had a couple of close calls. Obviously, you called for James Madison to do it. They were within a touchdown. Really, you know, they really covered the eight point spread. That's what matters. It certainly <laughs> does. Um, we also had, um, you know, South Dakota State nearly taking down Minnesota. Um but how about Central Arkansas? That was a really impressive look against, I mean, let's face it, Western Kentucky isn't the greatest team this year. They haven't been the past couple years, but Central Arkansas wasn't exactly a world beater last year either. 
so, you know, I, I, I think um, he's not the person I'd necessarily hand my game ball to because I have one other person I'd like to award as well. But if I'm throwing out a second offensive one, Luan uh, Winningham catching eight passes for 222 yards and three touchdowns for Central Arkansas, that's, that's a hell of a stat line. Uh, you know, to put down another, you know, to put down an FBS opponent, no matter what that FBS opponent is, what a great victory for, for Central Arkansas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Out Portland State nearly upset Arkansas this weekend, too. That was another one that was pretty close. Your, your guys, right? Yeah, yeah. I spent a year there at Portland State. Uh, I would have loved to have seen that come through. It's always fun to see the Vikings be a decent FCS team we'll see whether they can maintain that into the big sky season this year because let's face it that's a deep league in terms of FCS leagues the big sky is a deep one um but with that uh you know I threw out in you know an extra game ball I guess I should say but who would you be throwing offensive and defensive game balls to this week John I'd be remiss if I didn't quickly talk about Jalen Hurts, his debut performance against Houston. He's not the one who's got my game ball because I kind of already decided on it prior to this. Uh, But Jalen Hurts, what a a hell of a start for his career at Oklahoma. Looks like a really good fit for that offensive system. I know no one's really surprised by that, but obviously just a great start for him. But the guy I went with was actually Hank Bachmeyer, the true freshman quarterback at Boise State who, you know, didn't have the most gaudy statistics, I guess, but did throw for over 400 yards and had a touchdown. And, you know, just keeping his resolve as a true freshman going in there to to uh, to Tallahassee, falling behind 31 to 13 and then battling back and leading Boise State to 23 unanswered points to pull out that win. A win that's going to be one of the premier results for the group of five probably all season long and really could catapult uh, Boise State towards a potential run to the New Year's Six this year. So that's who I give mine for. I mean, what a great debut for him. You know, we had talked about on the podcast weeks back about him maybe being the next in the line of the multi-year starters at Boise State. You know, the the Brett Rippins and um, all those guys, Jared Zabranskis back in the day, even Kellen Moore and obviously those guys. Um, he could be the next in line and what a hell of a start. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a wonderful choice. Um, you know, I, I, I did not go with Winningham. Uh, obviously, the person I want to give my offensive game ball to is um, somebody who was not supposed to be the Heisman front runner for his team this year. Um, obviously, uh, Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be the man at Clemson this year. And, you know, he had an okay start. It wasn't you know, the flawless sort of performance that everybody is expecting from an uber-polished quarterback. Um, but let's face it, that backfield looks good as long as you have Travis Etienne there. I mean, 12 carries, 205 yards, and three rushing touchdowns. That's a ridiculous stat line. When you need only a dozen touches of the football to get over 200 yards and pound, you know, pound it across the line three times you're going to open some eyes. So, you know, I think if I was to be looking at, you know, putting together a Heisman watch this week, he'd be the top Clemson player I'd be looking at. No, absolutely. He kind of had to carry the torch on a day that Trevor Lawrence wasn't as efficient as we saw for most of last season. You know, he had a a couple interceptions and really kind of struggled against Georgia Tech's defense. But ETN certainly did not struggle, that's for sure. He had a an outstanding day. Flipping over to the to the defensive side of the ball, Zach, who'd you go with for your defensive game ball? You know, because I liked what North Carolina did so much, I went with Miles Wolfork, the defensive back there, who had two fourth quarter interceptions that really kind of iced the game. Obviously, when you're looking at a four point victory like they had, you know, um, it was a very real possibility that the Gamecocks could have come back there. Um, but getting just those really critical uh, picks, it you know, late in the game, sort of crunch time moments, uh, he's the one I w- I- I'd give my game ball to there. And, you know, finishing with six tackles as well from the back end is um, always impressive. So Wolfric is the guy who gets it this week for me. 
Yeah, and I mean, sticking with North Carolina, if you looked offensively too, how about Sam Howell's performance in the fourth quarter of that game too? Just uber efficient and leading leading North Carolina um, to two touchdowns in the fourth quarter where they were down 20 to nine coming into that. So I'd like to mention that another true freshman quarterback really showing out on a big stage. Uh, for me, defensive player of the week came from a, from a kid who actually was in a losing effort, Utah state linebacker, David Woodward, who had 24 tackles against Wake Forest, 18 solo had a sack, had a forced fumble. I mean, he was all over the field and tried to nearly single-handedly led Utah State's defense to to the upset of Wake Forest, and they were right there. Um, certainly not a um, a bad showing in Gary Anderson's re-debut uh, for Utah State, I guess would be the way to call it. But Woodward really leading the charge. I mean, twenty. Whenever you see someone who can gets gets over twenty tackles in a single game, I mean that deserves some recognition. I'm glad you brought it up. Definitely. Um... Well, on that note, everybody, we're going to take our first quick break here. And when we come back, we'll be talking about week two action. So be sure to come back. Stay tuned. Welcome back after the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We've finished talking up about week one action. So we're going to turn our attention now to week two and some of these big games coming up against the spread. Um Obviously, as we do every week, we're going to choose five games out that we'll both look at. And then in our final segment, we'll be looking at a a game that each of us like as our lock of the week and our upset of the week. Um, So, yeah, diving into the first game we're looking at is a really big kind of group of five elimination game. Uh, Marshall heads to, to the Smurf turf in Boise to take on a Broncos team that's still, you know, really high after that big win in Tallahassee last week. Uh, Boise State comes in as a 12-point favorite. (coughs) Um, But yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Obviously, Marshall had a great first week last week against uh, VMI. But, you know, it's sort of hard to assess how good they actually are playing an FCS team, whereas we got a real flavor for where Boise State is last week. Um, so what do you think about that 12-point spread? Do you, you do you like that spread? Do you think it's high, low? I think it's too high, honestly. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Boise State... You often see a team uh, that comes off kind of having this big emotional come-from-behind victory on the road like Boise State did. Now they come home after a short week and they face a Marshall team who, you know, was one of the early favorites in the Conference USA in the preseason and a a team that a lot of people thought had a shot to really make a run up the group of five standings as well. I think it's going to be a really good football game. I don't see either team being good or being double digits better than the other team, I should say. I think this is going to be a really competitive game. One of the sneaky good games um, of the weekend, really to open up the weekend on Friday night, getting that game, just really excited about it. I I think Boise State's probably going to win because they've got the home field advantage, but I think they're probably going to sneak away with a win at the buzzer on a field goal, and I think Isaiah Green and that Marshall offense is going to be able to keep pace with Bachmeyer and company, and it's going to be a really good football game. Wouldn't surprise me if Marshall went to the Smurf turf and pulled out the upset, but I'll take Boise State, but I'll take Marshall to cover the spread, so I'll take the Broncos by three. Got it. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think Bachmeyer's going to obviously have a really – really great game. Marshall um, is not, you know, they're known for their offense as well. I think Boise State's just going to get a few more defensive stops. Um, I like it to be a little, I I think it's going to be a little bit more of a wider margin there. Um, I think I'm with you in terms of 12 points being high, but I could see like a late score making it like, you know, 48 38 Boise State. I think this is going to be a, sh- a, a real shootout between these two teams. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you there uh, in terms of, you know, the risk of putting that spread too high. And it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we're not at the end of the week yet. So where does it finally land on, you know, Friday before it's closed? Um but yeah, I, you know, I could see it sliding down maybe a point or two, but when you start it that high, it, it it's a really attractive line I, in terms of taking that under. Absolutely. I, that's going to be, it's going to be a really good football game. I would say I, 
very looking forward to getting the weekend kind of started with that one. And I hope hope everybody out there really gives it the fair shake, too, because I know that's one that a lot of people might skip. But, I mean, that's probably going to be one of the better games of the weekend and what should be a really good weekend, too. Oh, yeah. Well, and the other thing I think that's really interesting about that was the total points line is only 55 in Vegas. Um, I, I think, you know, I think that spreads high. And that that total points line is really low. I would definitely take the over on that myself. Like I said, I think this is going to be a shootout. I think you see 80 or more points between these two teams, obviously on that fast track in Boise. So, Yeah, I agree. I, I think the over, if you're going to make a bet on that game, the over is probably the safe way to go. Certainly. Well, moving on to the second game we're going to be looking at, um, Cincinnati had a huge win in week one. Uh, taking down UCLA. Um, Now they have to go on the road, uh, still in state, but they head to Columbus to the horseshoe to take on Ohio State. Um, Obviously one of the front runners uh, to take the Big Ten this year. Um, That line set at 17. Um, Given what we saw from Cincinnati against the Bruins last week, do you think they have any shot of, you know, beating that line and even possibly beating the Buckeyes? I honestly, I really do. I, it was interesting because Ohio state got off to such a great start last week against Florida Atlantic, you know, really breaking out, scoring three touchdowns before really anyone even got seated on their couch to turn their TVs on for the first time during the day, you know, but Cincinnati's not Florida Atlantic. This is a Cincinnati team who were both really high on. I picked the Bearcats to take the, the American this year over Central Florida and actually be in the New Year's Six. And, you know, I don't think they necessarily have to beat Ohio State to make that happen. And I don't know that they're going to go to the horseshoe and win. But I think seven, is it 17, Zach? Is that what, what the latest was, 17? Yeah, I think 17's too high. I Justin Fields, you know, had a great game against Florida Atlantic. This is a whole new challenge, though. Luke Fickle's going to have a good defensive scheme ready. Cincinnati's got a lot of playmakers on that side of the ball, and they're going to make things tough for fields and his first real challenge as Ohio state starting quarterback. And then you've got on the other side of the ball, obviously Cincinnati's got playmakers with Michael Warren with Desmond Ritter in the backfield. I think it's going to be a really good game. Cincinnati's obviously going to be up for it because they want to prove, you know, who they are and being able to go on the road and upset Ohio state would be just such a huge moment for fickle and Cincinnati and the whole program. So I think Ohio State wins, but I like Cincinnati plus 17. Yeah, I, I think that line is absurd, given what, we, you know, obviously Ohio State's going to get the big, you know, it's the big name and it's going to court a lot of betting in its direction. We talked about that last week when we were looking at lines as well. Sometimes Vegas will set it really high because you've got the brand name there, you know. That that sort of dazzled by the pinstripes, you know, mentality. Um, and it, it, it can be a really great thing if you, you know, you, you follow the sport and you know how teams like Cincinnati are doing. That's almost just like, thank you. Like it, it, It's Vegas handing you a gift when you get something like that. Um, so I'm with you. I, I, I would love to pull the trigger and say that Cincinnati's going to win this game outright. I think if it was being held at Nippert, they'd have a real chance of it. I think, you know, going to Ohio Stadium is no easy task for any team, much less a group of five team. Um, if anyone is built to take care of it, the Bearcats might be that team. I think this this game ends... Uh, with a single-digit margin of victory, I think we're going to see a single-score deficit here. Um, but, yeah, I'm leaning towards saying Ohio State's going to manage to eke this out at home and maybe, you know, look a little bit worse by comparison, but it shouldn't be considered that way um, because, obviously, Cincinnati was an 11-win team last year, and I'd be shocked if they didn't win at least 11 again this year. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge game for that program. If they if they go on the road and shock Ohio State, then they're certainly in the driver's seat for the New Year's Six race and would even potentially have a, um, a say-so in what happens at the end of the season in terms of the college football playoffs. They certainly have an argument at the end if they're able to go on the road, beat Ohio State, and finish undefeated with wins over teams like Central Florida and a really good American Athletic Conference. So a huge game 
uh, in the group of five race for this weekend. Massive stakes. Um, you know, and shifting back to the power five, we have another game that's coming up a little bit later on Saturday there that also has some pretty massive stakes in the, the, the title race in several conferences. Um, Texas A&M heads to Clemson to take on the defending national champions. Um, obviously, like we said in the last segment, uh, Trevor Lawrence didn't look at his best in that season opener against Georgia Tech. So it'll be really interesting to see how he fares against an Aggies uh, team that that came out strong in week one. So, um, you know, that said, Clemson is still a 17 and a half point favorite when you get down to it. Um, Personally, I think that might be a little bit high. I think Texas A&M has a solid team this year that can give some fits and um, they're going to do a, they're going to have a lot better chance of stopping Travis Etienne than the yellow jackets did, I think, um, or at least slowing him down. I, I honestly don't know that he can be stopped this year, but I think they'll have a better chance of slowing him down. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm personally suspicious of that 17-and-a-half-point margin. Um, what do you think? It certainly feels high. I mean, Texas A&M very nearly pulled the upset of Clemson last year. Obviously, that game was in College Station, but they were right there um, at the end of the game. I think it's going to be a really good test for kind of a young Clemson defense, revamped defensive line after losing so many just studs from last year's team, going against an A&M offense that really has a lot of talent. Uh, with Kellen Mond at quarterback, uh, a really good group of receivers to test the Clemson secondary, and then a really strong running game as well. So I think it's a bit high. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if Texas A&M can get enough stops because, you know, last year the Aggies really struggled against the pass in particular. So you got to go against a guy named Trevor, a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, might have struggled this past week, but he's not going to struggle many games in a row. You know, they're probably wishing he had a great game last week and might be due for a dud this week is coming off of a struggle. He's going to be extra motivated. That receiving court Clemson's absolutely absurd to just on the outside with T Higgins and Justin Ross. They're going to create so many matchup problems. I don't think A&M has much of a shot of pulling off the upset. I do think they have a shot at covering the spread because I do think 17 and a half is, is a bit high for this kind of game. You're talking about an A&M team who, you know, I was ranked 12th in the country at, at the moment, waiting on the new rankings to come out. So I I think it's they'll keep it within around two touchdowns, but I think Clemson still wins and puts it away. I think it's probably close for a while Clemson puts it away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right there. It, it's, um, you know, because even a 38-21 game means that Texas A&M covered the spread here. So... Right. I think that's definitely something that's doable. I think Jimbo is going to want them to do a little bit better than that. But beating Clemson at home is just, I think, too tall a task for that A&M team. I think covering is completely within their realm of possibility. Another game that's coming up this week is a fun intersectional contest that actually used to be a conference rivalry game. A uh, pretty spirited conference rivalry game, especially back in the you know late '80s, early '90s. Uh, Nebraska heads to uh, Colorado to face the Buffaloes there in Boulder, and uh, you know Colorado's a four-point underdog at home. They're several years removed and a coach removed from you know actually being competitive in the Pac-12 South. Um. That said, they did come out well against Colorado State last week, um, getting the win in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, starting out the season at least strong enough there. Um, but that said, Nebraska's been talked about as you know a potential Big Ten West winner. Um, kind of interesting how they came out. 35-21 victory in that season opener against South Alabama. Didn't always look great in that victory, but they're still coming out, you know, they're still making the road trip as the favorite in this one. Um, after that first game, what do you think is in store for Scott Frost's team this year? I mean, I thought all off season that I think the, the hype train kind of got out of control because, 
you know, Nebraska did finish the season pretty well last year, winning four of their last six games to finish, nearly upsetting Ohio State late in the year, too. But I think their flaws were pretty evident uh, against South Alabama. I mean, they won by 14, but they were outgained. And they also had a punt return for a touchdown, an interception return for a touchdown, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. So they had three non-offensive touchdowns against South Alabama and still only won by 14 points. That could have easily gone the other direction if turnover luck hadn't swung so heavily in Nebraska's favor. I think this is going to be the week that the brakes get fully pumped on the Scott Frost train for this year. Uh, I, I think Nebraska's due for kind of a letdown loss, uh, in my opinion, going on the road against Colorado. I like the Buffaloes not only to cover, I like them to win the game outright, knocking Nebraska out of the AP Top 25 and really kind of maybe for the better taking some pressure off of Nebraska this year because I don't think they're as good of a team as a lot of people were thinking they were going to be, uh, and I don't want to take too many highbrow ideas out of one week of football but I mean I think the they were a bit overvalued and I think maybe a early season loss to Colorado might actually benefit them in the long run because then the kind of hype slows down a little bit people start focusing on them as much and then maybe they're able to finish strong and really prepare for what could be a big 2020. I think that's a fair point you know um, especially when you're working with a younger team still getting their, you know, feet wet with a a new coaching staff or a a fairly new coaching staff. When the hype builds up this much, it can cause you to get really tight. And if you keep winning, that tightness just continues to build because the the pressure of expectation only gets heightened. Um, So, yeah, I think you might be absolutely right there that, that a loss in the shadow of the Flatirons might not be the worst thing at all for this this Cornhuskers squad. Is Colorado the team to actually do it, though, is the question. You know, they had a great game against Colorado State, 52-31. They also allowed 31 points to Colorado State. And, you know, Colin Hill looked really good in that game at quarterback for, for the Buffalo, or for the Rams, sorry. And, uh, you know, at the same time, Colorado did come out and and put 52 on the board, um, which isn't something we've we've seen them do with any regularity recently. So I think if they do have that, you know, the fact that they're playing at home really, one, works in their advantage. I think also the fact that, you know, they're starting to show some sort of spark and life in that offense again is really beneficial for them. I think this one's close. I, I, I think that four-point spread, I don't think um, the game is going to end that way. I think it, it's going to be a field goal one way or the other. I like the idea of Nebraska losing that game, like you said, almost for their own benefit. <laughs> um I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. I think uh, the Huskers just top to bottom do have a little bit better team, but I could totally see Colorado stealing this one at home, but I don't think that margin is going to be more than three points. So, Yeah, it's a toss-up. I could see it going either way. I mean, Colorado with them having the home field advantage, I think that's going to be key. But it's interesting, too, because, you know, if we were to look at this as a neutral site game, Vegas is basically saying they like Nebraska by a touchdown. You know, right. you're given those three points and, and softening it down because Colorado's playing at home. So, And part of that, though, has got to be just that's how Vegas sees betters kind of backing Nebraska because of all the hype that's been around the Huskers all off season and stuff too. There's the hype and, you know, Nebraska is always going to be a name that conjures up you know, visions of excellence more than Colorado is, even despite the fact that under Bill McCartney, they had a hell of a run there at Folsom Field. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think in the end, uh, Colorado has a real chance in this one. And I don't think Nebraska covers that spread, even if they do come out on top. Final game we're going to look at before we take our last break here, folks, is another one of the big primetime games this week. Uh, College game day is heading there to Austin for this one. Um, LSU at Texas. You know, really, this is the sort of marquee matchup we normally get in a week one. So it's almost 
you know, sort of delayed gratification getting it here in week two. Um, couple teams that have really big aspirations this year, obviously. Um, Texas was right there, you know, and, you know, really has high hopes of, of taking down Oklahoma and claiming the Big 12 again this year. And obviously LSU is always gunning for Alabama. And after the way they looked, you know, in week one, um, don't want to read too much into games, obviously, like you said, but both of these teams look great in week one. So it'll be um, fun to see what happens here. I think this is a really great shootout. Uh, Texas actually, though, is a four and a half point underdog at home. Um, do you think that that's a, a fair assessment of where the Longhorns are at this point of the year? I do. I think Texas was a bit overrated coming into the season. We talked about that too in the in our Big Twelve preview on the podcast. Um, you know, obviously had a great win to finish last season, beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But I think that kind of propelled them to a bit overrated in the preseason. They did look really good. I mean, Louisiana Tech's not a bad football team, and they handled them with ease. But I tell you, one of the more impressive wins of the opening week of college football was LSU just destroying a quality Georgia Southern team, 55-3. to I mean, I don't think anyone expected that. I think everyone expected LSU to win, obviously. But Georgia Southern was really, really good last year, and LSU treated them like they were, you know, a lower-level FCS school and just did to a team that they – we haven't really seen LSU do that to many teams in recent years. Uh, Joe Burrow looked – picked up right where he left off over the last four games of last season. He had an excellent game. They debuted the new offense where they're playing a little more up-tempo, getting the ball out quickly, and it really worked. Burrow seems like a great fit for that system. I was high on LSU all offseason, as you know. I'd picked them to, to actually go to the college football playoff uh, with their only loss coming in Tuscaloosa. But I think this is one of the games that's going to really aid in their case to be a playoff team, even if they aren't able to get over the Alabama hump in the SEC West. Because I don't think they're just going to beat Texas this weekend. I think they're going to blow Texas out this weekend in Austin. I think they're going to win by two or three touchdowns and really announce themselves as a legitimate contender in college football this season. That's bold. I like it. Um, And I think it's fair. You know, seeing what Jamar Smith was able to do against Texas' secondary, throwing for 331 yards and a couple of touchdowns, and then, you know, sort of transposing what Joe Burrow can do to that same secondary, I think it's, you know, a really fair assessment. Especially because, like you said, Burrow looks good, really good in in this new up-tempo scheme. Uh, you know, he completed 23 of his 27 passes. He threw five touchdowns um, on 23 completions. Just at an incredible rate. And, you know, with the sort of skill that LSU has, they've always felt like that. We've talked about it in the past, how they've, you know, sort of felt like a waste of the prodigious talent that they get there sometimes on offense where, you know, you see guys go be studs in the NFL where you're, you're like, yeah, you saw flashes of brilliance, but you never had anybody to distribute the ball well enough to them. And Burrow is that guy, like, you know, he he really showed it coming back after taking that big pop in the in the bowl game last year against UCF and, and getting back up and, you know, just sort of flipped a switch almost. And he just became damn near robotic, how how perfect he was. And you just really saw that pick right up where that left off in this first game. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, I don't know that it's going to be like a three touchdown blowout. I think after calling that for Oregon last week and, and seeing how that played out, I'm a little hesitant to do that with another team for a while. Um, But yeah, I think LSU comes out on top. I think they cover a four point, four and a half point spread pretty easily. You know, I think that spread could easily get pushed up to six and a half, seven, and they'll still cover it. So I'm with you there. I think LSU really did just show the world they mean business this year yeah oh, absolutely i i'm really excited about it too just um this is joe burrow's probably biggest test against this kind of quality defense that texas has on the road in austin and what's going to be 
just an incredible environment. It's one of the best environments in college football, getting LSU coming in town for a Texas program that really feels like they're on the precipice precipice of actually being Texas again for the first time in what feels like a long time coming off that Sugar Bowl win uh, at the end of last season. And Sam Ellinger looked great against Louisiana Tech last week. Obviously, now this is a much bigger test. LSU's got uh, what looked like a really nasty defense. They've dominated Georgia Southern from the opening snap. So really excited about this one. Two just great college football brands taking the field against each other. You don't usually get to see LSU and Texas play. This is just fantastic. So very fired up. This is definitely the game of the week, but I really think this is going to be kind of a crowning achievement for Ed Orgeron and LSU this weekend. Certainly. I, 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 I'm with you. It's, it's obviously the marquee game of the week for a reason. Um, well, on that note, everybody, we're going to take our, our last quick break here. And when we return, we'll have a couple of uh, final picks for you. And uh, we'll get into a bit of tailgater fare uh, before we sign off for the week. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the last segment of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. We're talking about week two action. We just broke down uh, the five big games of week two. Um, but now we're going to dive in and look a little bit deeper at some of these lines and offer up our locks of the week and our upsets of the week. So which one would you like to start with, John? Uh, let's go with the locks, I'd say. So if I, I'll, I'll get us kick started with a lock. I'm going to go with kind of a weird one. Uh, and it's really just me reading the Vegas cards that are being presented to me. Because as bad as Tennessee looked last weekend, I can't imagine a a reason why they should be favored against anybody after losing to Georgia State. But they're three and a half point favorites against BYU uh, on Saturday in Knoxville. Uh, I think they're going to bounce back and I think they're going to cover that three and a half point spread. BYU kind of coming off a deflating loss of their own against Utah. It really felt they really felt like this was their year to finally get over the Utah hump uh, after losing seven straight. I believe it was now eight straight to the Utes all by close margins until this year. Really deflating loss for them, too. Tennessee's, this is a must-win game for the Vols. Must-win for Jeremy Pruitt. If Tennessee wants any chance of getting to a bowl game, particularly after, you know, they played BYU this week, then Chattanooga, but then they got Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama over their next four games. So this has got to be a win here uh, if they want any chance of going to a bowl game. So I look for Tennessee to bounce back and cover uh, not only cover the spread, but get a, a really nice win this week over BYU to kind of get things back uh, on track. I guess I'm going to go down with the sinking ship. See, you know what's funny? That game is actually my upset pick of the week. I like BYU to take down Tennessee and really make it hell on Jeremy Pruitt. Um, just given what I saw Tennessee do last week, I, I have no confidence in them compared to, you know, compared to the result that BYU got, they both lost at home, obviously, but losing at home to a really good Utah team and showing some signs of fight along the way, um, it builds a lot more confidence for me than what we saw the Bulls do last week um, against Georgia state. So I actually like that as my upset pick of the week. Um, but to go into the locks, honestly, one that really surprised me was UCF only getting or giving 10 and a half points to Florida Atlantic. Yes, they're going on the road to play the Owls, but UCF looked unbelievable in that that opener. Um, you know, despite some injury issues that happened along the way, UCF is just a well-oiled machine at this point. Um, and you know, for as great as Lane Kiffin is as a coach, and, you know, people do joke about it, but there's a reason he keeps getting jobs. He's a damn fine football coach. Um, I just don't think, you know, Florida Atlantic has nearly the sort of weapons that UCF can bring to the table for the full 60 minutes. And so, frankly, I like them to win that game by at least now now's where I pull the trigger and say, yeah, I like them to win that game by at least three, four touchdowns. I think it's just going to be blood in the water. It'd be interesting because Florida Atlantic was actually pretty competitive with UCF last year. 
um, in Orlando. So I, it's going to be interesting to see if Lane Kiffin's got something up his sleeve. They really struggled against Ohio State to start that game. They really played well over the last like three quarters of that football game after getting just thoroughly dominated uh, 21 to zero in the first part of the game. They nearly, I mean, they, it was what, 20, 24, 21 Ohio State over the last three quarters. Yeah. So, I mean, Florida Atlantic really equipped themselves nicely in that game. This will be a really good test for them um, to get it going. So, me, um, moving on to my upset, I, it would have been funny if I had chosen Florida Atlantic as my upset to kind of get that going. But my upset pick of the week is one we talked about all offseason, and maybe it's wishful thinking, but give me Army plus 23 and a half over Michigan. I've never wanted to see an, an upset more than I want to see Army go to the big house and beat Michigan this weekend. I don't know if I can actually pull the trigger and say Army's going to do it and win the game, but I think 23 and a half is a pretty big spread, in my opinion. And I think Army's going to do whatever they can to shorten the game, give Michigan as few possessions as they can, really, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, move the ball and keep this game competitive for um, the entire way. Michigan's probably going to come out with a win, but the Wolverines didn't look great against MTSU, I would say, this past weekend. They showed some pretty noticeable flaws. To be fair, on the other end, Army didn't particularly play that well against Rice to open their season, but I'm just saying maybe the Black Knights were looking ahead to the Big House showdown. Uh, That's at least what I'm going to rationalize with myself at this point. So give me Army going into to Michigan. I hope they go in there and shock the world and upset Michigan, but I think in the very least they'll keep it within three touchdowns, wind up seeing something along the lines of Michigan winning 28-14 or something like that in a really shortened possession kind of game because Army goes on those 16-play, 85-yard drives. I, I, I think it's, you know, given the line that they put there, I think that's a fair pick. Um that said, you know, Army didn't look as good as they could have in that season opener either. Like you mentioned, Michigan didn't look incredible. Um, the Black Knights didn't look quite as good as they did last year. So, um, but, you know, in this 150th season of college football, how great would it be if Army went to Ann Arbor and got their first win there since 1954? Yeah, I mean, it would be perfect. It would be a perfect way for that kind of to really culminate the 150th anniversary, I think it would be outstanding. And then we get a, a flat out Jim Harbaugh meltdown after the game. And I mean, who wouldn't be game for that? No, I mean, the world needs this. The world needs this. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a really great uh, upset pick, you know, even if it is just against the spread, but I could, you know, crazier things have happened at the big house, everybody. Let's just remember that. So, um, absolutely. So, yeah, with you know, um, all of this action happening this week, you got anything you're really excited to be tailgating with? Not really, Not really I guess, I guess tailgating, tailgating, but, but uh, uh, I always kind of like, like, like to go based on the opponent my team's playing. Alabama's got a, just a massive matchup this weekend against New Mexico State. Just a a huge, a huge showdown, showdown <laughs> against them. them. Um, so, a so big a big thing, thing uh, in New Mexico, New Mexico is breakfast burritos. That's, that's where, where kind of breakfast burritos really originated, originated was in New Mexican, Mexican cuisine. cuisine. So, so I'm a huge breakfast burrito, burrito kind of fan. So that's so something I'll be looking forward to popping in the in the ingredients and in the oven and stuff this weekend. Some nice bacon and eggs and cheese and salsa and stuff like that. A nice breakfast burrito to kind of get the the college football Saturday start. Started, started, as, as you know, you know army, army opens, opens it up, it up and, and upsets upset Michigan, Michigan in the big, in the big house. house. Perfect. I'm just speaking it into existence. There you go. I love it. You see, for me, um, this is actually my first game day where I'm here in State College when Penn State's playing at home. And they have Buffalo coming to town, so it seems like, you know, it, in the spirit of things, let's make some wings. I, okay. uh, you can't go wrong there when it comes to, to, to football. Um, and just given the opponent that's coming to town, it makes total sense. So, yeah, I haven't made a big batch of wings in a while, and I'm really actually quite excited for it because, like I said, can't go wrong there. Um, 
to go with them, I actually, on my flight out to Minnesota last week, was at the airport and had a Brawler Champion Ale from Yards Brewing out of Philadelphia. Um, really nice sort of not-too-heavy beer. Um, I think it, it's going to cut really nicely through the heat of the wings. And so, yeah, I'm going to pick me up a, a six or two of those and, and have a good time with that while I'm, I'm watching all the action this weekend. Yeah, that's that's I think a perfect choice um, to go along with those wings. I'm I'm honestly jealous. I don't have any big plans for beer this weekend. Just going with what whatever's already in the fridge. And I think currently I got some Dosaki, so maybe that teams well with the theme for the weekend. Anyway, I don't know, uh, but that's currently what's sitting in the fridge, and um, that's what's gonna get get drank this weekend for sure. Seems like a logical one to go with some breakfast burritos. Good morning fuel, you know. Right, just kind of happened, not even really in thought, but, you know, best laid plans. Perfect. Um, Well, on that note, everybody, it's been great getting to talk with you again this week. Um, Always a pleasure here. Um, We'll be back again next Wednesday to talk more college football, break down everything that happened here in week two, um, and uh, give you some more insights on week three. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week.